Hi, this is Zia here. Welcome to the Selling to Enterprises podcast. Our guest today is Helen Fanucci, a sales leader at Microsoft. Had a great conversation with Helen today around sales, sales management, motivation, and inspiration. Without further ado, let's welcome Helen Fanucci. Well, thanks for the invitation. My pleasure. To get things rolling, and for the benefit of our listeners, if you can talk to us about your background, your professional journey so far, that would be great. Sure. So I actually, my background originally, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I started with IBM uh, in manufacturing as a manufacturing engineer right out of college, and uh, I was in Silicon Valley. And you know, there's a lot going on in Silicon Valley, and I decided about a year into it that I didn't want to be in the back room making technology. I wanted to be out with customers. And so I ended up being able to transition um, from engineering to marketing and then go through IBM sales training. And that was about an 18-month program at that time. And then I moved into sales and sales territory. So I did that pretty early in my career. And I have been uh, in high tech my whole career, worked mostly for larger companies such as Apple, Sun Microsystems, a few startups in Silicon Valley. Um, I was a seller in the UK uh, in the early 90s. So I have some international experience as well as managing international teams. And so now I'm with Microsoft and I've been with Microsoft for 13 years and I lead a sales team focused on five strategic global customers. So uh, that's what I do now. Very big accounts, um, brand names like Intel and HP and Honeywell, et cetera. And um, I have a team of folks, both technical sellers and account relationship managers. So client executives and client technology specialists and strategists. And most of my team is in the U.S., but I have uh, team members in India and Israel because those countries are so critical to my customers in terms of development shops and um, innovation that they do in those countries. That's interesting. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, so, so you have a global team. Then I would love to get to a point where we discuss about how do you manage the team and all that. Uh, but, you know, in today's world, uh, especially the, over the last 18 months coming out of this pandemic, hopefully we are out of this pandemic, things have changed a lot, right? So in today's world, uh, Helen, in your opinion, what, what are the key attributes uh, for a successful salesperson today selling into enterprises? Yeah, so I think really um, what really matters, particularly absolutely for technology companies, but for any company that wants to sell into an enterprise, because all companies are uh, technology companies today, in essence, um, you know, in order to be competitive. So I think the ability to cr create trust with customers is critical because in the innovation economy, uh, it's, you know, buyers are... Um, they must trust their sellers and the company they buy from because a lot of times these decisions on the buyer side are bet their career type decisions with the complexity of what we sell, um, the technology. It's hard to really understand 
um, what a customer is really buying at the essence. It's not like buying a car in the old days and it's pretty straightforward. So for a seller, they must be um, able to build trust with their customers and understand the customer's business challenges, where the customer, you know, what are the driving forces behind um, their objectives and goals. And then what I uh, will call business outcome selling. So not product selling, but really um, understanding the business outcomes the customer is looking to achieve and then figuring out, well, what's the best way to help the customer achieve that? Um, you know, of course, there's things that, you know, you might expect such as executive presence and great communication skills. A big thing with my team that is super critical is um, being able to lead an extended team. So while my team is dedicated to these customers, uh, there's a whole bunch of product specialists, like 40 people that are that are assigned to these customers. So being able to orchestrate across the team, build a positive team culture where um, everyone on the team feels that they have a voice and um, you know feels included. So I kind of think of my sellers as um, first level managers, even though those extended team members don't work for them directly, it's a lot of the same skills are needed. Yeah, I'm sure there are instances where you have multiple people that you have to bring together and kind of, you know, make them march towards the same objective and none of them are reporting into you, right? You know, something on those lines. Yeah, so the extended team members don't report into my sellers. And then there are the, you know, gosh, another 50 people, let's say, that touch the accounts, whether they're executives that we bring in for an executive form, executive alignment or executive sponsor, um, or other managers that have resources, or because these accounts are so strategic and important, our product group, our product team often gets involved because sometimes they are looking for customers to be on the um, kind of joint, jointly prove out new yeah. capabilities, new features. And so it ends up being a fairly complex matrix. And this might surprise you, but my team members likely spend 45 to 50% of their time with internal selling and internal alignment on behalf of uh, being able to bring the best that Microsoft has to offer to the customer. So it's not a trivial part of the job is the internal coordination and alignment um, and getting, getting everybody um, on board with the same vision of and the same solutions, frankly. So some of these attributes that you have listed, uh, Helen, so when you're recruiting for your team, right, when you're recruiting new sales guys, how do you measure some for some of these? I mean, I know communication skills and stuff like that, it's straightforward stuff, but the rest of the things, how, how do you measure for that? Well, I will ask questions. So first of all, I will have, um, I will select an interview panel. So when I say panel, I don't mean that we all are on the same call, but interview um folks to interview that have different backgrounds. 
so that we're all kind of looking at things from a different angle. And I assign, um, you know, different team members. Let's say we have four people interviewing a candidate. I'll ask them to dig into technical skills and acumen. And while I don't expect a, an account executive to have a depth of technology um, to be able to architect something, we do sell technology and cloud services. And it is critical that people have an affinity um, for technology. And so there, that would be one you know, category. The other thing, you know, relationship development, um, managing teams. So I will ask questions about, tell me when you have done X, Y, Z, or what, what's something, you know, kind of behavioral interviewing to provide examples. And then I will dig into those examples and try to really understand, um, you know, the capabilities and how somebody thinks. And I'm also looking for thinking diversity. So I don't want, you know, cookie cutters. And I read a super interesting article yesterday um, that was posted. Um, and it was a it was a research study that LinkedIn did, and they said that buyers want uh 80% of their team or the, the teams they buy from to be diverse, to have different points of view. However, when you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, about 80% of the sellers are not diverse. And so that just kind of piqued my interest. And, you know, I think Microsoft does a pretty good job of being deliberate and intentional about recruiting diversity. But I will tell you, it has to absolutely be deliberate. So it's it's a combination of, um, you know, kind of there's certain fundamental skills. I don't hire right out of school or junior sellers or you know people who have experience selling in, into, into the enterprise, experience with technology sales, complex sales, complex transacting. You know, I interviewed somebody who has clearly enterprise sales experience, but he said, oh my my uh, company doesn't discount. And so he had no transact complex transacting negotiation experience. So I'm like, well, that's not really going to work. Yeah, that's that's critical, right? I mean, you are low. You're like five figures, six figures to nine figures, right? <laughs> In terms of the license deals and the services around that. That's a good point. So on that point of diversity that you brought up, right? That's a very important point. Uh, and you're right. I mean, culture seems to play a big role when the buyers are selecting their vendor partners in terms of what kind of vendor partners they want to work with. But what are, what are your thoughts around that, Helen? Yeah, so um, it's it's a really important point. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time talking to our customers about, and they're pretty interested in, is what has Microsoft done to change our culture? Because Satya you know, came on board in 2014 and he made cultural change is number one imperative because he didn't think we could realize our potential as a company without changing our, our culture. And so all um, a lot of our customers are really curious about that as well. And so we end up spending time talking about um, our cultural journey and a lot of the skills that we've worked on internally within Microsoft 
actually are super important skills when you're interacting with customers. And in fact, Gartner, um, I saw a report they did that said that um, sellers need to have the skill of empathy to really understand their customer. And last year, when I say last year, I mean actually, you know, fiscal year. But so last year, um, Microsoft US, which is our selling arm, you know, our, we're divided into countries, our selling arm of Microsoft, all 10,000 employees went through Brene Brown's Dare to Lead program. And our president um, has initiatives, what she calls empathy in action. And so that, um, you know, so this was part of that journey. So empathy in, in action is about having skills and understanding and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, but also getting close enough to them to really understand what matters to them. And, you know, part of this came out of, I believe, the whole um, social justice issues and challenges politically and the marginalization of races within the U.S. And so it was to kind of really understand people's lived experience. And so those skills are important not only for managers in working with their employees, but also for the employees who are the sellers and and talking to their customers. And I think that COVID showed us that everybody is in a really different circumstance, our customers included, and to be um, empathetic and understanding. And, you know, because a lot of people have had um, difficulty, quite frankly, whether it's having to homeschool kids, people being sick, I have someone on my team whose brother just passed away two weeks ago from COVID. And so there's a lot of um, situations. India went through different phases, Israel with different phases. And so I think it's made us a bit more human. And so when we think about sales, it's not, it can no longer be just make your number. It also has to be, okay, how do we understand the individual situation, if we're, if, you know, they're our employee, how do we understand them, have empathy, and then create an environment where they feel known and understood as a whole person? You know, talent is short. Everyone is struggling with trying to find people to hire. So it just raises the bar all that much more on the skill set for managers and also, I would say in an analogous way uh, for sellers with their customers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, they're the great points, great points, Ellen. So just stretching that a bit. So, uh, uh, like the 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 way uh, uh, the enterprise sellers are selling today has changed, and uh, obviously there is so much that uh, the sales managers have to do from their side. Right? Like like you pointed out, the sales management also has changed, right? So love. Love for you to spend few minutes on that. Talk to us. I know it's your it's one of your favorite topics, uh, Helen. So please go ahead. Yeah, sure. So you know, sellers are a key um, enabler of the innovation economy. Like I mentioned, because what we sell is so uh, critical, and because talent is so scarce, it, it really comes down to the manager in uh, retaining talent. And the expectations of employees have changed. 
So for example, you know, flexibility is currency. The data shows that people um, will take a 30% pay cut in order to have flexibility, whether it is working remotely in a different location or time flexibility. And so managers have to be able to adapt and understand the needs of their team. And um, the data also shows, this is kind of coming out of COVID, that you know, 60% of employees uh, report feeling disengaged or dissatisfied. And Gallup tells us that managers account for 70% of an employee's experience. So I think we've got to flip things and think of our employees as customers. Because in a world where anybody can work from anywhere, we're actually competing with every company on the planet for talent. And in fact, some of the talent has taken themselves out of the enterprise. They're starting their own business. Uh, COVID has impacted women disproportionately where they've dropped out of the workforce to care for, for folks. And so then it ends up being, you know, kind of the managers are the focal point to really multiply the impact of sellers, retain talent, set up great expectations on performance. So performance expectations, be outcome driven, because you can't assume that your sellers will be in close geographical proximity. And I know for some sales managers, they're used to walking on the sales floor and seeing their sellers. So you've got to learn new skills to set outcome-based expectations for performance and then also establish checkpoints. How are you going to check on performance? And so it can be, obviously, I I do pipeline and forecasting reviews and all of that is is the same um, in many respects. Uh, but it's also to understand, okay, what are the situations going on that I need to be aware of and how do I address that so that the employee feels satisfied, supported, and that they have the ability to produce the success and do what they do really well. And a quick uh, story or example is um, one of uh, my sellers was going on vacation this summer, and um, he was going to Europe with his uh, child, who's almost two years old, and his wife to see his family. And right around the time he was planning vacation, his customer was releasing a request for a proposal. And he said, I know the timing is really bad, but I my parents haven't seen my son since he was two months old, and I need to go on vacation. And I said, you've got to do that. We'll figure out, you know, we will figure out how to cover for you. So I ended up stepping up and doing what one might say, an individual contributor type role, stepping in his shoes, if you will. And had I said, no, you know, you're not committed to your job and you've got, you know, he would have left maybe not that day, that month, but that's the kind of thing you got to figure out. How are you going to cover for people when they're sick, have people go on vacation. Um, Those kinds of things become really critical because you can't assume 
that the talent is here to stay and you're competing. So you've got to really think differently about accommodating employees and doing things differently. Great points. Great points. Yeah. I mean, um, so in, in a scenario where like this, I mean, you spoke about empathy, you spoke about a few more things, but when you have a distributed global team, uh, sales team, how do you keep them motivated and inspired? So they, they deliver their best, right? How, how do you do that? Well, I think part of it is understanding what motivates them and makes them tick. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, different people have different motivations, obviously. And so for some people, it's the opportunity for learning new skills and doing taking on new challenges and promotion opportunity or moving from one country to another. And so, you know, I try to get to know the team and I and I want them to feel supported. So sometimes it is, you know, I encourage them to reach out to me. They know how to reach me, obviously, if there's something where they're stuck. And so a lot of the conversations end up being about internal situations. Like, you know, somebody on the team is being disruptive to the overall strategy or somebody's new on the team and they want to be involved in all of the executive meetings and how do we make sure that we're keeping the strategy first and foremost while providing an opportunity for the team to contribute yeah. and so i would say so i would say to understand your team but then also holding people accountable to the outcomes. So I don't micromanage, but I have regular pipeline reviews and we all forecast. We also bring the extended team into the um, pipeline reviews as well. So we have revenue pipeline reviews, but also consumption pipeline reviews. And that's really, you know, customer successes in that. And because it's really about delivering on the promise of the technology to our customers and ensure that they're consuming what they buy. And so um, I think the team feels supported and they, they're clear on the mission. And I try to make ensure that they know that there are team members and sometimes not everybody is playing their role, so to speak. Or there are customer issues and customer issues are sometimes so complex that it's not clear who owns it. So I just get people on the phone and I say, okay, let's problem solve this together and get the other managers on the phone. So we're figuring it out. So you have to have a level of personal engagement and investment with your team and, um, you know, sometimes I, you know, I don't scale, right? And so I have senior people and sometimes I'll ask them to talk to a colleague who has been through the same challenge or problem solve. I set up mentoring across my team and, and you know, with my extended team. So there's a number of things that I do to try to support people, but also um, make sure that they're clear on the performance expectations and that I'm managing to that. And the other thing I do is I address performance challenges so that they also understand when there's gaps. And then I work to support them 
to growing and learning and stepping up. And at the end of the day, it's up to them whether they are able to step up and do things differently. But at at Microsoft, we have the idea, the notion of, um, or the value, I should say, of having a growth mindset. So while people might be on what would be traditionally called a performance improvement plan, I'm really invested in trying to help my team improve. And sometimes it's not workable. And then I try to help them find another job. And sometimes they end up leaving and going to another company or doing something different because it's not the right fit. But I think managers have to be invested in their team. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes total sense. And and you you spoke about the checkpoints and you know calls you know pipeline reviews and stuff like that. Is that like more on a weekly basis, Helen, or just biweekly? Actually, bi-weekly. okay, okay, very good, very good. That's that's pretty good. And you spoke about uh, I mean the way you were talking about empathy for sellers for their customers. I mean it makes sense for you to also have the similar empathy for your team members, right? Like like what you did for your colleague. Uh, so that's that's pretty awesome. So the way the sales has changed from at least the selling point of view, right? The buying also has changed, right? the buying behavior uh, from the enterprise side. But what's your experience there and your, uh, you know, what are you seeing now, Helen? Well, first of all, uh, there's a lot more stakeholders when we're selling. Mm. So, um, you know, when we were selling non-cloud products like Office on the desktop, that was a different animal than selling Office 365 in the cloud. Because sure. now there is compliance, there's GDPR, you know, so there's legal, there's the chief security officer, there are the um, business stakeholders, there's IT, there's a lot more... Um, um, a lot more buyers, if you will, or people who can say no. Mm-hmm. And so it's a more complex sale. Many companies have chief transformation officers or chief digital officers. There's a lot of different names. And my team, we're really looking to do kind of big transformational um, projects. So it could be modern finance or um, more agile factories or resilient supply chains. And so there's a lot of, you know, sort of these big, bigger concepts. And so one of the things that we found to be very effective is um, where we are telling our own story of our transformation. So, for example, Amy Hood, our CFO, will literally meet with some of the CFOs of our large customers and talk about Microsoft's finance transformation and journey. And so I've had the good fortune to be on some of the finance executive briefings that have happened as a result of these kind of CFO to CFO connections. And a lot of the conversation in those meetings are about people. Because at the end of the day, technology is the easy part when you transform. It's the people and processes. And so, you know, kind of like, well, here we have, I don't know, 70% of our staff are doing rote work. And instead, we want 70% of our staff to do important knowledge work and have the rote work 
automatize and how do we do that? And so we've we've been able to be very successful in telling our story and helping our customers through that journey. So this is also part of when I say we've got to build trust and credibility uh, with customers because the buying is different in the innovation economy. It's more complex. And often whoever gets there first wins. Because once you start transforming, it's really hard to undo that and back away. I mean, think about, you know, when everybody was ripping out Siebel and going to Salesforce and going to a cloud. And now, you know, we have Dynamics 365. And so we've been very successful, actually, in um, competing against Salesforce. And so... Uh, it's just it's more complex, and the product offerings and the expectations of buyers are um, high, shall we say? So, uh, coming to some some of your personal experiences, Helen. Uh, so, you know, uh, want to understand as to how do you handle when when you have a down day or when you're you know not that motivated enough on that particular day? How, how do you handle that? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, um, one of the things I do couple things. One is I will look at um, some of our customer success stories and try to learn more and get inspired through what other companies are doing and how other teams have been successful. Another thing I do is I try to take a step back, go for a walk, exercise, um, because that will reinvigorate me. The other thing is, you know, podcasts or learning and new ideas, because I can get excited about um, kind of envisioning new possibilities and trying new things with my team or, you know, trying to understand um, kind of, well, why are we not doing, why are we not as successful in a particular area? What is the offering that our competition has? And so I try to learn and dig in or understand a little bit more about my customer set and listen to interviews and things like that. Because it is it is an easy thing to get so immersed in the day-to-day. And so it can be really uh, refreshing to step back and just kind of uh, reset, if you will. You know, uh, you have seen so much, you have done so much in your professional life. But both in professional and personal, I would love to see if you have any inspiring experience that you can share with us, uh, Helen, for the benefit of the listeners. Well, about uh, 10 years ago, um, my vision all of a sudden started getting worse and my eyesight. Oh. And um, it ended up, I, you know, getting worse and worse. And um, I was, concerned about it. And my, op- my optometrist said, oh, well, maybe it's cataracts. You know, you have early cataracts, go to an optom- ophthalmologist. And they didn't really diagnose, you know, they like, well, yeah, sort of, but it never felt like I got the right diagnosis. And so over time, I ended up going to, when I went to meetings in the office, I would sit in the front of the conference room not because I wanted to be up front all the time, but I literally couldn't see from the back of the room. So it was kind of a private suffering, if you will. 
And I wasn't sure if I'd be able to continue working with my declining vision. So I finally said to my um, optometrist, I said, you know, I've got to do something. I'm not driving as much at nighttime and um, it's really impacting the quality of my life. And so he said, well, why don't you, um, let's have you go to a cornea specialist and see what part of your vision might be related to cornea. So this was in 2018, so three years ago. And so I went to a cornea specialist in Seattle, and it turned out I had a disease in my corneas that would have led to blindness. It was a, a progressive disease. And I will tell you, it was such a relief to get a clear diagnosis, no pun intended, but an accurate diagnosis, because I would talk about my symptoms and he would tell me exactly what was going on with my eyes that caused those symptoms. And so as it turned out, I ended up having eye surgery and two eye surgeries in the middle of 2018. And I have partial cornea transplants in both my eyes. Mm. So um, with, you know, organ donor tissue, and it has been a miracle. It has, um, I have great vision and it has given me a new lease on life. And as a result of that, I've changed a bunch of things in my life. And I started envisioning and imagining, you know, a bigger career aspirations. And I met Chris and now we're going to get married. And so there's a lot of things that change. And so I would say that that was a really tough time for me, particularly not knowing what the future would bring and having this kind of um, haze of poor vision, um, you know, on top of me. And then um, what a relief it was when I ended up finding a solution and getting the surgery. And so, yeah, so that is... um, that was a setback and that's something that's kind of given me a new a new perspective of course of course yeah literally new perspective right so congratulations on that yeah that was that diagnosis and that the clarity that you got and you're able to recover from that you know that's that's really nice Ellen. Glad, glad to hear that and chris is a great guy so congratulations <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So this uh, is yes. good. This is good. So Helen, uh, you know, final question, uh, if I can ask is, you know, are you hiring uh, at Microsoft or part of your team? If you're hiring, uh, you know, love to know what roles are you hiring for um, so that if any of the listeners are interested, they can reach out. Yeah. So we have what we call always on hiring. Okay. And what that means is we have a group of people that are always looking at uh, bringing on talent and uh, matching uh, individuals who would be a good fit to open roles. Because we have so many roles that are open at an, any given time, whether it's customer success or technical sales or account management. Um, to answer your question directly, I don't have any open roles on my team at this moment, but we have to keep on have refreshing the pipeline yeah. and reaching out. So 
this always-on hiring approach, sometimes decisions get made to bring on people, and then they get put into roles when they become available. And so managers, as a skill, need to also be able to you know, work with the teams they either inherit or sometimes they may not have the decision point on who comes on their team. But you've got to be sourcing talent in a always-on process and be in front of that. And so um, that's what we do uh, at Microsoft. And we have a lot of, you know, we have recruiters and we also have individuals like myself that refer talent. Um, So that's, that's how it works. Makes sense. Makes sense. And if someone wants to reach out, Helen, and say hi, and just, just to catch up with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great way to uh, connect with me. This has been great. I love the points that you shared and there is so much there. So thanks. Thanks again for coming on the pod today. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. So appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast and I will greatly appreciate if you can leave a review. If you have any suggestions for future guests or any feedback, please write to me at zia at sellingtoenterprises.com. See you on the next episode. Thank you.